Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Is it anybody's birthday today? Yesterday? Last week? We got banners. We got balloons. We can celebrate. That's a great illustration uh, for what's going on in the book of Esther, like, uh, like a wonderful mom and dad who have done a lot of work to put together the details for a birthday party for, uh, for their little son or little daughter. And, uh, and none of the children at this birthday party or celebration really have any idea what mom and dad had to do in order to pull off that birthday party. But the only reason that that birthday party is happening is because mom and dad were faithfully at work behind the scenes, providentially providing for that birthday celebration. And that's what's going on in the book of Esther. Um, I joked uh, in the 9 o'clock service that, um, that Jericho stole my sermon. Uh, but I won't tell that joke uh, today at the 1030 service. Uh, but I do want to uh, just recount for you kind of the Cliff Notes version of what happens in the book of Esther. So here we go. Back in the 5th century BC, this guy named Xerxes, I mean, who wouldn't love to have a name with two X's in it? This guy named Xerxes was the king in Persia. He was not a very nice man because it turns out one day when he became disillusioned with his wife, whose name was Queen Vashti, uh, he decided he wanted a new wife. And so he got rid of her, and he hosted a beauty contest to find a new wife, because this is apparently what you do if you're the king of Persia. So he hosted a beauty contest, and this young Jewish woman named Esther won the beauty contest, and so she becomes the queen in Persia. So nobody really knew that Esther was a Jew. She was one of the Jews who were exiled in Persia. So she was among many other Jews who were living in Persia at the time as exiles. And she kept her heritage as a Jewish person hidden. Okay, so the story continues. And uh, King Xerxes promotes this other crazy guy whose name is Haman. And Haman gets promoted to like the highest rank in the kingdom. And Haman is super prideful. He has lots of issues. And he makes everyone around him bow down and worship him whenever he walks by. But he discovers that this Jewish man by the name of Mordecai would not bow down and worship Haman. So Haman is super enraged about this. And he decides as a way to retaliate or respond against Mordecai's refusal to bow down and worship him, he decides that he's going to have all the Jews in the land terminated. He plans a genocide. I told you Haman was crazy. What Haman didn't realize was that Mordecai the Jew was actually the uncle of Queen Esther. 
And more than that, Esther's parents, when she was little, had died. And so Uncle Mordecai adopted little Esther and raised her as his own daughter. So Mordecai and Esther are very, very close. Now, obviously horrified at this planned genocide of his people, Uncle Mordecai sends word to niece Queen Esther so that Queen Esther can plea to King Xerxes to save the Jews from this planned extermination. Right? Queen Esther has an audience with the king. And so Mordecai pleads to her to go and speak to the king and get him to put the stop on this terrible impending disaster. Here's what Mordecai sends, uh, the message that he sends to his niece Esther. This is in Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 13. I'm going to read a brief pa passage there. Mordecai says to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. And then the famous line, who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. And then Esther said in reply to Uncle Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish... I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him to do. Now, obviously, Esther is in a really difficult situation. Right? She has influence with the king, but she knows that without an invitation from the king, it's actually against the law to approach him. It's a strange world. So she knows that if she approaches the king, she is liable liable to the death penalty. Maybe. She also knows that if she doesn't approach the king, that her people will be wiped out, and there's a good chance that she'll be found out and also wiped out. Bad news. She's in a difficult situation. She's in um, kind of between a rock and a hard place. Turns out that Esther listens to the wise counsel of Uncle Mordecai. Perhaps she has come to this place to have this relationship with the king for just such a time as this. Perhaps this is God's sovereign plan. Perhaps God is not surprised by any of this, but that he has been at work behind the scenes providing for a deliverer for the Jews. As Jericho said, uh, the name of God is never mentioned in the entire book. That's kind of a, a strange thing. There's a book in our Bibles that never even mentions God. But that's kind of part of its literary strategy because it's so obvious that God is at work. Like even though his name isn't mentioned, just like uh, maybe mom and dad's name at the birthday party might not be mentioned, but clearly they ha have been at work throughout the whole thing. 
But Esther still has a difficult decision to make, doesn't she? Will she seize the opportunity? Will she go and speak to the king? Will she exercise the influence, influence that she has? It's a difficult decision that she has to make. I mean, her circle of influence was extraordinary. She had access to the king. And why would God put her there? And the answer to that question is unfolded for us in the whole book of Esther. God's providential hand has been constantly at work throughout history for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of his people. But Esther still had to make a decision. And do you remember what she said? She said, if I perish, I perish. She had to decide whether or not she was willing to do the right thing for the sake of her people, even at great personal cost to herself. If I perish, I perish. Though this might cost me dearly, the right thing to do is to do what God has put me here to do. And so the question is, what about you? Will you say yes to God's call? Will you say yes, even if it means great personal cost or sacrifice to yourself? You know, the great comfort of the book of Esther is that God is at work. What we said with Jericho, that God is still in control, that God is powerful. That is the comfort that the book of Esther provides for us. And the great challenge of the book of Esther is for you and I to respond to God's invitation, to respond to the opportunities that he puts before us, to say yes, to exercise the influence he's given us, to use the privileges that he has given us, to use the power that he's given us for his name, for his sake. And so perhaps God has you where you are at this time on purpose. I admit that oftentimes in a difficult circumstance, in a painful circumstance, I ask the question, you know, why me? God, why have you let this happen to me? I can imagine Esther asking that question, right? Why me? Why have you put this terrible burden on me? But of course, another question is, well, why not you, Esther? Why not you, Peter? Why not you? And I want to encourage you, especially in difficult circumstances, and there are plenty of those these days, aren't there? To ask a different kind of question. Rather than, you know, why me? God, what do you want to accomplish in this difficult situation through me? God, have you put me here for such a time as this? Is this part of your handiwork? How is this part of your handiwork? You know, when Jesus of Nazareth knew that his time was drawing near, he knew that he was coming to the end of the line, so to speak, in terms of his earthly ministry. He could see the cross. He was approaching it. It was drawing near. The religious leaders, 
he knew were about to have him crucified. And when that time was drawing near, Jesus prayed this way. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Uh, first of all, I love that Jesus is so honest and real and human. You know, God, I, I can hear him saying this. Father, if there's some other way that you can pull this off, I would be open to that. If there's some other way other than the cross that we can make this happen, let's explore those possibilities. I don't think that Jesus was excited about being crucified on a cross. I love that he's relatable that way, that he's, he's 100% human as well as 100% God. Then he goes on in his prayer, you know, if, if you're willing, Father, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. And there's the prayer of faith. Father, not what I want, but what you want. I'm willing to do what you want. Because what you want is more significant and more right on than what I want. You see, Jesus knew that he had come for just such a time as this. Jesus knew that the sovereign plan of the Father was that he would be nailed to a tree and that the weight of the world's sin would be laid upon him. And Jesus knew that the way to remove the dividing wall of hostility that stands between you and me and that stands between us and God, the way to remove that wall was by taking it down to the grave with him. And there was no personal cost too high that Jesus wasn't willing to pay. If I perish, I perish. You can put those words in Jesus' mouth as well, can't you? This is because Jesus looked not to his own interests, but to the interests of others, to your interests, to the interests of your neighbors, to the interests of your family, to my interests, to the interests of people who agree with you, to the interests of people who disagree with you, to the interests of people who look just like you, and to the interests of people who look a lot different than you. He didn't consider all of his power and privilege and resource as something to be exploited for his own benefit. Imagine Queen Esther, if she would have exploited all of her privilege and all of her power and all of her influence for her own benefit, just to protect herself. Jesus didn't do that either. But rather, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There was no price too steep for Jesus to pay. Because Jesus had come for just such a time as this. And what about you? Perhaps you have been given the circle of influence that you have for just such a time as this. Maybe you've been put in these situations, or maybe you've been given these relationships, because that is precisely where the Lord wants to use you for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his name. Perhaps you've been given a position, or authority, or power, or opportunity Maybe like Esther. And I hope that each of us will have ringing in the back of our minds the advice of Uncle Mordecai. 
perhaps you have been put in this place with the influence that you have for just such a time as this. God is at work behind the scenes. And one of the ways that God, in fact, I would even say the primary way that God works out his sovereign plan is through his people. What about you? How has God invited you to bring honor to his name, to share his gospel, to advance his kingdom? How has he invited you to do that at this time and in this place? Let's be people who take Uncle Mordecai's advice. Let's be people who have the same mind as Jesus and the same mind as Esther who did not consider our own interests, but who consider the interests of others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Friends, let's pray together. And uh, I want to take some time to pray for you, and to pray for our world. So let's um, lift up those who are struggling for, uh, for just a variety of reasons. And I invite you uh, to join me in calling on God's name. Gracious and living and almighty God, we're so grateful that you are at work, that you are strong, powerful, good, that you are faithful, steadfast, that your love is pursuing Thank you that even when it's difficult to see, you are still at work. Would you give us the eyes of faith so that we can see you, so that we can have God sightings every day, so that we can see evidence of your faithfulness, of your work in the world around us. And God, would you make us into people who become agents of your work, who call out when we see your work, who become witnesses to your work in the world, work of justice and peace and grace, work of reconciliation and restoration. And God, we pray for those who are struggling today. We pray for those who are sick, those who have lost loved ones to the coronavirus and to so many other illnesses. God, would your mercy and grace and comfort surround them and grant them peace. We pray for those who are struggling economically and for all that that involves. Uncertainty, fear, doubt. God, we lift up those who are struggling with not enough employment, with the loss of employment, the change of employment. We lift up to you business owners whose businesses are on the brink of collapse or maybe have recently collapsed. God, would you grant your comfort your eyes of faith, and your wisdom. We pray for those who live in fear for whatever reason. We ask God that your amazing love would cast out that fear. We pray, God, for those who have been the objects of injustice for whatever reason, for race, for economics, for the way we look, or the way we act. 
for anyone who has been the object of injustice. God, we lift them up to you and we pray that you would come alongside. We're so grateful, God, that you are the God of the orphan and the widow and the alien and the poor. In other words, those who are struggling, those who are on the outside, those who, um, those who are underprivileged and underserved. So God, would you comfort and bless? Would you restore broken relationships? God, it seems as though every day there is more and more to disagree about. By your spirit, would you restore and reconcile on broken relationships? Would you bring unity where unity needs to be? Especially in your church, God, I pray that you would give us strength, patience, and perseverance to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then, God, we just cover our whole world and pray, God, that you would wipe out this COVID-19. God, we know that you could, with the snap of your fingers, eliminate the coronavirus. And darn it, God, sometimes I wonder why you don't. But God, we believe that you're good. We trust that you're faithful. And so we ask that you would grant relief and healing. We know that this world is the world you created, the world you love, the world to which you sent your own beloved son to rescue, redeem, and restore. So have your way. May your amazing love have its way. And in so much as we get to participate in your way, we count it a privilege, God. Give us courage to join Esther in saying, we will do it. And if we perish, we perish. So be it. We pray all of these things in the faithful and abiding name of Jesus, our Savior. And God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at C.